through the veils now. How many more lifetimes will you donate to the illusion of the ego? Are you ready to directly face the truth of your essential self? It is time to set yourself free. Colleagues uh, to Voices of the Sacred Feminine uh, today on Sunday. Uh, if you've been listening lately, uh, you know that uh, I am not doing shows on Wednesday mornings right now temporarily. Uh, my husband has some tele-rehab he has to do uh, in the mornings during the week, uh, so uh, he's using my computer. Uh, it's as simple as that. So for now, I have switched shows to Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Uh, however, uh, you can be sure not to miss an upcoming show if you hit the follow button on my show page uh, at uh, the Blog Talk area, uh, you know, right there at Voices of the Sacred Feminine on Blog Talk. Uh, just hit that follow button, and you won't have to worry when the next show is scheduled because um, in your email inbox, you will get an email saying the show is about to start and there's a button to click and it makes it very simple for you. You know what the show is, who the guest is, what the show's about and I highly recommend that, uh, especially in these uh, chaotic times when uh, our lives are not the routine they used to be. So, uh, anyway, uh, good show for you today, I believe. Uh, I'm so glad to have back with me Normandy Ellis. Uh, she has uh, been on the show uh, numerous times, and uh, when I saw she had a new book out, uh, I thought, well, uh, I've got to get Normandy back on the show, especially uh, because so many of my listeners and myself, uh, we're Egyptophiles, uh, we're ISIS-oriented, uh, you know, we're in this uh, sisterhood, uh, in a sense, I guess. So uh, today's uh, topic is uh, hieroglyphic magic oracles and dreams, and um, if you aren't aware of uh, Normandy Ellis and uh, her work, uh, there's lots of it out there. I'll tell you a little bit about her. Um, besides being a priestess of Isis, she's also a spiritualist minister, an astrologer, a certified clairvoyant medium uh, through the Indiana Association of Spiritualists. Uh, she's published 14 books, um, which include the spiritual classic Awakening Osiris, uh, also translations from the hieroglyphs found in the Book of the Dead, and uh, her most recent, which we're talking about today, uh, Hieroglyphic Words of Power. Um, you know, that's what this uh, interview stems from, that new book, Hieroglyphic Words of Power. Uh, in midsummer, she'll receive uh, her Doctorate of Divinity from All Faith Seminary International. Uh, she offers uh, clairvoyant circles, metaphysical classes and private consultations in phone uh, on the phone or in person and her website is her name uh, Normandy Ellis N-O-R uh, N-O-R-M-A-N-D-I E-L-L-I-S dot com so Normandy welcome back to Voices of the Sacred Feminine thank you good to be here well, um, I was so glad to see your new book. Uh, what a wonderful distraction during uh, the time of chaos. 
Uh, and, you know, I have to admit, I hadn't thought about uh, hieroglyphs being used uh, in this manner. You know, to me it was always just a language, uh, but I guess we can actually define language uh, in more than one way. Um, you know, I'm, I'm realizing now. Uh, so, um, you know, let's just jump right in. You know, how, uh, how and why did the hieroglyphs, um, you know, function as, uh, I guess, words of power in a, in a magical context? Okay. Um, I think the first thing that we need to remember is that any, any language that we use is a, basically a word of power. We are with the breath that's behind uh, the spirit inside us is evoking a particular uh, feeling. It's, it's evoking an image, especially by the words that we use and um, by the intentionality that we use when we speak. So all language is words of, are words of power, but the Egyptian in particular recognized that these hieroglyphs were uh, magical. They called them heka, which means um, effective utterance, for lack of a better word. Um, they used it for the word magic. Uh, and it, they defined it as the proper words in the proper sequence with the proper intonation and the proper intention. And by that, they meant the proper words were actually words that were not abstract uh, they were not words that were fluff words. You know, when you look at a hieroglyph, it's a thingly kind of language. You're looking at an image of something. Um, so the, the idea of, let's say, love, which is written hieroglyphically, has a hieroglyph, hieroglyphic image of a uh, plow, which has to do with the attention to nurturing and caring for one's beloved field, garden, whatever. And so that is the relationship that we have through that word for love. That's the relationship that we have with our beloved person. It's that tending, that caring, that nurturing. So that's just how the image of it worked. The sound of it had to do with the breath of God that everything had a vowel oriented, just like the, the Kabbalah, which is only written with the flame images above the flame vowels, above the consonants. The hieroglyphs works the same way because that was the breath of God. And so you didn't really want anyone else to be able to use that breathy vocalization. You hear, uh, you know, when you're in Egypt, you hear the call of the Mazine and they, that voice ringing out across the uh, horizon and it just sends chills up you because it's like you're feeling that energy, that vibration, voice vibration moving through you. So that's the second thing that works. The proper words, the proper sequence, the proper intonation, and the proper intention. And that is what is it that you are wanting to bring forth? Um, and so those things all together inside a hieroglyph are what make it a word of power. So um, I, the first thing that comes to mind is uh, since we didn't really know what the um, Egyptian language sounded like, um, I don't think, um, is, does that create a problem for us? Uh, being able to use the intonations of the hieroglyph? Well, it, it might create a slight problem if you're trying to intone in the Egyptian language. But, you know, you can intone in your own language. Uh, you can intone in any language. Um, however, I think that what you're asking me is, uh, do we have to know the exact pronunciation of, of an ancient Egyptian word? Um, and our closest guess to what that would sound like are remnants of those words that are left in the Coptic Christian churches, you know. Uh, their language is pretty much the same language that the ancient Egyptians used. Um, so when you oh. hear uh, a Coptic priest, 
talking to nature. He's talking about God, but but that's the netter, what we think of as netter. Um, he'll say nature, and that's probably the way it was pronounced. And then it goes into the Greek, and it becomes nature. You know, but it's the same idea of the natural world, the God of the natural world, the God seed inside everything. So, okay, yeah, so okay. So, um, let me let me mention to you, Normandy, before we get too deep into this. Since I didn't get a chance to talk to you before we went live, uh, I am on a satellite phone, and there is a slight delay. So we have to let each other finish a sentence before we respond. Um, so I just wanted to tell you so we don't have that awkward, uh, awkward talking over each other, okay? Okay. Um, all right, so um, you know, I, I have to ask you about the the hieroglyphic for Isis. Um, is the hieroglyphic for Isis the throne, the throne symbol? Yes, it is. Um, and if you look in the sky at Cassiopeia, the constellation, you will see that the throne is inscribed there within the sky itself. You'll see her image. Okay. So what does, when we come across the, you know, that uh, symbol, uh, that hieroglyph, um, you just mentioned the plow was a symbol for love, and, you know, and when you described, you can see the correlation why. Um, What does the symbol for Isis mean? I would say it is probably an Egyptian way of saying the hand that rocks the cradle rules the world. For what does a mother do but take her baby and put the baby on her lap and hold that child and nurse that child? And so you see many images of Isis seated upon her throne, which is basically her name, holding the Horus child which I would say would be any one of us. It could be a pharaoh, yeah, but it's any one of us. It's the mothering instinct that is holding that babe in the lap, and it indicates, you know, from my lap, from my womb, I gave birth to this divine being. Well, could it also um, kind of embody the idea of uh, creator or creatrix, uh, not just uh, birthing life, but maybe uh, creating ideas, things, um, you know, uh, books, organizations, uh, you know, any of any of our creations in life? Absolutely. I would say it's an image of the seat of power. Makes sense. Makes sense. So um, now the high priest scribes, um, uh, I believe you said in your materials, were using the hieroglyphs for dream interpretation. I mean, does that mean that uh, when the people dreamed, they dreamed in hieroglyphic symbols? Yes, it did. Um, There is a dream dictionary that was actually found that was put together in the 18th dynasty. I cannot remember the man's name because it's one of those multiple syllable names uh, that only the Egyptians could do. But um, he was a high priest at Hashibsut's temple, which had become notorious for being a dream temple. And the priests who were at her temple, just on the other side of it, was the Valley of the Kings and the Queens. And so they were well familiarized with the uh, symbols and the images and the hieroglyphs that emerged in the unconscious, which is then symbolized by the the entrance into the tombs and the entrance into the underworld and the entrance into the astral world. So they were moving the same. You know, when I take 
people on trips to Egypt, they begin to dream in Egyptian symbols. And once they become familiar with it, they understand it in a completely different way than they did with their regular dream. So um, I guess I'm wondering, though, and, um, uh, you know, not that I'm a skeptic, but it just comes to mind. I mean, I think I've always read that most of the people in Egypt were illiterate. Um, if they, if if that's true, if I'm remembering that right, um, uh, I, I don't know. I guess I'm confused how they would dream in symbols because that would be the equivalent of them being literate, would it? Uh, or am I uh, um, not grasping this properly? <laughs> well, all of your dreams are in symbols. So the hieroglyphs are... Um, easy to interpret in terms of dream symbology because they are already pictures, images of things. They're not language, so you don't have to have language to interpret a dream. All you have to have is the image, uh, and you carry that image to the priest, and the priest who knows the text and knows when these the sequences of when these particular images begin to appear, then he begins to tell you what it's about. Let's say, for example, I had a woman who knew nothing about Egypt at all. She was in a dream group that I was leading. And she dreamed that uh, a bird came, a hawk came, and landed on her arm and dug its claws into her flesh. And uh, she said it was very scary because she, when she looked at the hawk, it had, it had weepy eyes and, and it like was an old man with no hair. And, and she said it was a little bit frightening. And I immediately recognized that as an image of the Ba. Now, she did not understand that that was an image of the Ba, but I did. So I asked her, uh, by any chance, did it remind you of someone? And she said, well, when I look at it, it sort of looks like my dad, you know, as an old man. And so I said to her, is your father in spirit? And she said to me, no, he isn't. He has Alzheimer's and he doesn't remember me. So what would you interpret the baw of her father coming and digging its claws in her arm and grabbing her arm and not letting go. That's a pretty easy symbol to interpret. In the same way, that's what the Egyptian priests would do. You would tell the dream and they would remember what those symbols were, whether you knew them or not. Uh, but they used the symbols. Yeah. So why don't, um, uh, could you take maybe two or three of the symbols, uh, you know, before we go any deeper here and, um, and maybe like you did with the plow meant love and, you know, Isis, the throne was uh, the seat of power. Um, give us a, maybe a couple more. Oh, sure. Um, here's, here's one that I like. It's called Ear Ma. I-R-M-A-A, and it's written with two eyes that are fairly heavily lidded um, and a mouth and um, a sickle-like uh, or scythe that you would use for cutting, okay? And that particular word is a word that is used for uh, clairvoyance for visioning, for dreaming itself. Um, it has to do that little sickle, of course, you'll recognize as cutting to the truth. That's the sickle that we see on the word ma'at. We often see that word, that image for ma'at. It's got that sickle, and it means cutting to the quick, cutting to the core, getting down to the particular. The two eyes, of course, which are heavily lidded, have to do with not seeing with your physical eyes, but kind of like when we see the Buddha eyes and they are um, heavily lidded and he's looking within. 
that's that image of those two eyes that's in the hieroglyph. The mouth is uh, to be able to speak what it is that you've seen in this astral world. And so that is a hieroglyph for dream interpretation, actually. Interesting. Um, Interesting. Yeah. So um, another one would be, um, let's see, I'm trying to think of another one that's easy to do. I would say like Heka, the word for magic, is probably one of my favorite hieroglyphs. And um, it is written with three or four different images. The first thing is um, three twisted, uh, like a little twisted fiber. It's like the twisting of the fibers in a candlestick wick, you know. Um, then there's the ka image, which is with the arms upraised uh, and the chest open, um, the image for spirit. And then, uh, so that's like a, Ha and a ka, all right? So those are the two pronounced parts of that word. The wick is that very uh, strong H sound. There are three H's. There's like a breathy H. There's a H. And then there's this ha, like heka would be how you'd say it. And it's a flame wick because it gives you the idea of something being hot something being active, something being really alive and full of spirit and a little bit dangerous if you don't know how to use it, okay? The ka is the open heart, okay? It's the connection between the God source and the self. And so that really is um, the image of making any kind of prayer or magic. Now, the other two images that are next to that is um, there's a rolled-up tied with string it is not pronounced it is simply an image that tells you that this magic stuff is not for everyone the scroll is rolled up it's tied Uh, the Egyptian idea of magic was that it was taught mouth to ear it was not magic was not written down you really learned magic by learning it from someone you were working with the Last three images are three seeds, which uh, anytime you have a seed, it has to do with growth and multiplying and and something that, you know, uh, is not just a single thing but works on multiple levels. And so that's an idea of what you're looking at when you look at the word for heka, magic. Interesting, really interesting. Um, well, I want to get into uh, asking you uh, a little bit more about new, uh, numerology, but before we get too far away from uh, the topic of ISIS, um, I wanted to ask you, uh, what, what is the pronunciation in Egyptian of ISIS? I've heard so many different things. Um, what, you know, when you see the throne, um, how is that pronounced? If you look at the derivation of the Egyptian word, it is uh, S-T, just like a seat. <laughs> it's just like a seat. Ah. It's got a little feather at the top of it, so a seat or ise. Sometimes the T is not pronounced. You know, it's kind of like when you would have a uh, – it just indicates that it's feminine. It's not – necessarily something for pronunciation at the end of a word. So Ise would probably probably be close. Okay, Ise. Okay, all right. Yeah, that is one of of the words, you know, obviously Isis, of course, but that's... uh, that's the Greek pronunciation, I think. Uh, so, right. And also someone besides Isis, um, a, a woman who's uh, clairvoyant uh, in a dream, uh, she said it came to her that the other pronunciation of Osset was actually Osseti. Um, I'm wondering if you've heard anything like that. Um, no, I've not. But um, it could be uh, a second name. It could be some some person, not not the lady herself, 
but uh, it could be like a high priestess's name. Aseti would probably uh, mean the daughter of Isis. Okay. Okay, interesting. Maybe, well, you know, that makes me think instead of her seeing Isis in the dream, maybe she was being recognized uh, as the daughter of Isis because she definitely was Isis-oriented. Yes, I would say so. Um, uh, Sitator is uh, the daughter of Hathor. You know, so you have tons of women with that name, Uh, you know. So I, I would say that's probably what she dreamed. <clears throat> so so we have Isis, we have Isis. Um, so where does Osset come from? Oh, gosh. Now, now Karen, let's just say that um, this is 3,000, maybe 5,000 years of ancient Egyptian history. Mm-hmm. We don't speak Old English the same way either. Okay, and that's even less time. That's a thousand years ago, but we don't speak old English. Uh, We—it's almost like another language. And for heaven's sake, if it comes from the Gaelic or uh, something like that, we really don't know what it means. We're that far removed. So language is fluid. I do not think that anyone who's working with language can believe that it has to be just this one way. Because what it has to be is inside you, how does it feel? How does it come out? You know, uh, she has 10,000 names. Uh, Let's just say, you know, 10,000 years of pronouncing the name. And um, you'll get 10,000 names. Well, you know, this might be silly, but um, I've had someone say this to me. Uh, They were concerned that if they didn't pronounce her name properly, she wouldn't hear their prayer. Uh, What would you say to that? Um, I would ask them first, is your connection to her strong enough that uh, even if you were drowning under the water, that if you called upon her, do you think she would reach down and pull you up? Yes, she would. You know, so I, I don't agree. think that I agree. Yeah, yeah I don't think it's going to okay. make a difference. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think the intention and the connection uh, is really everything as well. Um, so, um, so numerology. Um, you talk about numerology was a part of myth, hieroglyph, and mystery schools. Uh, talk a little bit about that, if you will. Sure. Um, we don't really recognize it. When we're in uh, grade school and we're learning the uh, Pythagoras theorem in order to figure out, you know, the sides of a of a uh, pyramid or something, but that's that's uh, ancient Egyptian numerology. Pythagoras wandered for thirty years in Egypt, staring up at the columns, looking at the uh, hieroglyphs, looking at the repetition of certain images. Um, and he kept asking the 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 um, high priest at like the temple of Thoth to tell him what it meant. And of course, since it's a language that was only given to initiates, they said mm, we can't tell you. Why don't you go talk to those priests of Ptah over in Memphis? So he went over there, and they sent him, you know, to somewhere else. And he went somewhere else, and he finally made his way to Karnak to the temple of Amun. And um, there he, uh, I, somehow he managed to get an audience with the Pharaoh who wrote him a letter and sent him back to the original priests of Thoth and Hermopolis and said, teach this guy. And so they did. They took him under their wing. They taught him. He was in Egypt for 30 years and learned the secrets of numerology. Um, and, you know, that's the perfect place to learn it, you know, because how does uh, Tahute make or Thoth make the world but through the use of number? He stirs his cauldron, and he's looking at the things inside the cauldron, and he has this chant over it that says, first I was one, then I was two, then I was four, then I was eight, 
and then I was one again. And what he's doing is he's looking at the cellular division inside his cauldron that he's stirring. And so those priests were, they were numerologists, they were physicists, they were chemists, they were the holders of the alchemy, you know, of the land of, the black land of Egypt. They knew all of that. And they taught Pythagoras. And when Pythagoras went back to Greece, to Samos, he started his school there. And he had initiates that he only taught mouth to ear. He did not teach the. He said, take no note. You'll learn it better this way. And so finally, eventually, I think it's, it's written down um, through the notes of a student of a student of a student of Pythagoras. That's how we learn it. But everything that we know about numerology and the power of number comes from Egypt. Um, I didn't realize that. So their numerology is the numerology we know today, that it, uh, more or less the same thing. Yes, it is. <clears throat> well, what did, what did uh, the numerology, how did that fit in with the hieroglyphics? Because the hieroglyphics weren't numbers. Well, they were numbers. They were numbers. Um, and you can look at hieroglyphs and read numbers. They were even fractions. If you were to draw the eye of Horus, and, you know, you're drawing like uh, the top lid, you're drawing the bottom lid, you're drawing the pupil, you're drawing the iris, there's like a... a you know, the space of the white of the eye on the left, and there's a space of the, uh, you know, eye on the right. There's a little line that comes down under it with a little curly cue on it, and then there's a line that, that kind of goes all the way under the other eye. You know, every single piece that you are drawing of that eye of Horus is a fraction in Egyptian writing. In the hieroglyphs, it's a fraction. And when a doctor or a medical person was coming in to give you, a, you know, a prescription uh, for how how you needed to take this much medicine, this many of this, you know, particular fourths, three fourths and five eighths, and you know, whatever, they would draw these images of a part of the eye that would represent uh, the fraction that they were talking about. And then they would write out the herb next to it. You add all these together and you make this compound. And so the eye, that's why it's considered healing because when you put all the fractions together, it's wholeness. Okay? Ah, So that is one of the, yeah. And, yeah, and then you also look at that. If you stare at that eye again, you can see the Rx image that is used by a doctor that and that's what a priest would do when he finished writing out his uh prescription he would sign it with the eye of horus rx wow that is so interesting um thank you for that that was really awesome um we're going to take a break now uh and when we come back though normandy i want to talk about um, which deities might have been uh, invoked for their, you know, powers as oracles or um, creators? Uh, but first, uh, oh, and one other thing too, um, I just wanted to tell listeners at the end of the show, when I'm finished with Normandy's interview, uh, that uh, opening. Uh, snippet you heard, I Am Isis by Diva Haley. It's actually much longer than I was able to play at the opening. Uh, so I'm going to play that in its entirety. It's about uh, seven minutes, I believe. So if you liked where that was going, uh, you want to stay with us till the end, and you'll hear it, uh, that I Am Isis by Diva Haley, uh, in its entirety. Uh, but first, um, you know, before we get back to uh, our interview with Normandy and we get into <clears throat> which deities uh, were invoked, uh, you know, 
for their powers of prophecy. Uh, I have a little word here uh, from Joe Carson that uh, I'd like to share with you. This is a clip from uh, Serena Roney Dougal uh, in Joe Carson's film, uh, Dancing with Gaia. the pineal gland making this chemical that does it. Now this was the core finding, the core finding that the pineal gland makes a hallucinogen, we all hallucinate, we all go into a state of consciousness that for me is the collective unconscious. This psychic state is the collective unconscious which is that consciousness of the planet, what's called the chthonic mind, the mind of the earth. Because all peoples, all races, all tribes, from the past right around the world have myths and legends which use symbols and archetypes which are identical. Identical. Every human being experiences this state of consciousness which is the dream mind. That symbolic, archetypal, exemplified by fairy tales or the creation myths and legends of all the different peoples. The symbols of them are the same and to me that is the consciousness of the earth speaking to us. just a, a, a clip from Serena Roney Dougal uh, in Joe Carson's film, Dancing with Gaia. Uh, Dancing with Gaia is available only at dancingwithgaia.com, dancingwithgaia.com. So um, if uh, for some reason you've just tuned in, I'm having a fascinating conversation with Norma D. Ellis, uh, priestess of Isis, spiritualist, astrologer, clairvoyant, and we're talking about uh, her newest book, uh, Hieroglyphic Words of Power, and today's topic is uh, how hieroglyphs are used in magic, uh, uh, in oracles and dreams. Um, so Normandy, um, certain deities, um, you know, were there certain ones that were called upon uh, for their powers as an oracle or, um, you know, creators of the universe? Um, I, I think you refer to it as through thought and word. Well, I think um, probably any deity that you make a relationship with clairvoyantly can be used for this particular um, seeing and visioning. Um, they could be male. They could be female. Uh, there are uh, many, many, however, texts that were written about Isis. Um, and so she becomes one of the great uh, keepers of the oracle, as does Nephthys, her sister. Uh, so the two of them, because they go in and out of uh, the world where Osiris lives, they carry him in, into the underworld and they carry him out, they are constant visitors there. And so that becomes, they have much access. Um, I would say Anubis is another one of those that... Uh, has a lot of access to that plane. And for me, I work with Sachet a lot because she is the record keeper that works with thought. And um, I think that she, she has a lot of power to her. She is a high priestess wearing that leopard skin, um, holding that reed in her hand um, and so for me I, as a writer I'm always working with her yeah, I, I kind of think of her as like the ultimate librarian almost of the Akashic Records, uh, so to speak. Uh, you know, maybe a lot of people don't pay much attention to her. Uh, you don't see her as much as you would Isis uh, per se, but uh, uh, I, I've always thought of her that way as well. Yes, and the uh, flower on her head, if you notice her crown, it has the upside-down cow horns that we're used to seeing with Hathor or Isis. And then this flower 
with seven petals inside it. And those petals actually relate to the constellation of the Pleiades. That Those are the stars inside the Pleiades, which is next to the Taurus constellation. And so there's this um, resonance with her and Pleiadian knowledge and Pleiadian agendas. So I'm really quite attached to her. Yeah, yeah. Um, so let's talk a little bit about temples. Um, were there particular temples that were known, um, you know, where the hieroglyphs were uh, particularly used as oracles? Um, Kamambo is one of those. Kamambo, um, which was the double uh, temple to Sobek and Horus. There is a wall behind the main sanctuary that is an oracle wall, and it has um, eyes and ears. It's an image of the temple itself, and then it has eyes and ears around it and winged uh, boughs uh, of the deities as well as a person listening and delivering the messages to and from the heavens. And it's a really lovely hieroglyphic image. Um, I don't think I've seen it in any other temple. I like that one very much. So, um, so Normandy, if somebody had your book, for instance, and I'm sure you describe this in the book, but um, maybe until they get the book, if they wanted to use the hieroglyphs, as an oracle, for instance, um, would they just meditate on it? I mean, is, is there a particular practice you use? Uh, you know, and, and how would you know? Uh, I mean, can you use your intuition to pick out the um, the hieroglyph? Yes, I think you can simply use your intuition to figure out which glyphs are resonant for you. Um, and I would, if I didn't have the book and I didn't have the oracle deck that goes with the book, if I didn't have any of that yet, you could still get a very good picture from any of the temples that have whole glyphs on them, not ones that are broken, but the whole glyphs, and choose a set to look at. Uh, probably the easiest thing to do is to look at the image, like, uh, of let's say, Sekhmet, and then look for her name and work with a meditation on her name. Then begin to meditate on the hieroglyphic images that are around the hieroglyphs for her name. And then you can gain more okay. information about her. So, um, all right, so you just mentioned there's a, uh, a deck that comes with the book. Um, speak a little bit about that. I mean, how many cards in the deck? And, uh, you know, does each of the, uh, each, each card in the deck, is, uh, does it correspond to the particular hieroglyphs, um, you know, that are in the book? Um, yes, it doesn't come with the deck, however, because the publisher uh, made the book so that you would be able to write your own hieroglyphs. Actually, writing your own hieroglyphs is a wonderful way for you to get it inside your head and inside your body and inside your mind, and it's a very physical way of pulling those hieroglyphs into you. However, many people don't feel comfortable um, writing the glyphs for their own uh, deck. So we made a separate deck, which is available on my website, normandyellis.com. And you can go there and get these uh, a little deck of these cards for you. They're photographs that were taken on the walls of a lot of different temples in Egypt. Um, and there's 60 of them. There's 60 images. So now uh, the, 
in the book, I um, I believe the book is it uh, is it just the sixty hieroglyphs? Yes, I just chose sixty, um, and these are ones that over my travels I have found. Uh, people keep asking me, "What's that mean? What's that mean?" And they will be pointing to these particular images, and so through that process, I identified the. 60 images that really relate to what people are most interested in in, a, in their spiritual process going through Egypt. Okay, all right. Well, um, well, I, I'd love it if you could do um, a reading for us. Um, are you up to that today, maybe? Oh, sure. <laughs> I could do that. Um, what shall we ask about? I mean, uh, it usually works best if we have a question to start with. <clears throat> well, <laughs> I think um, I could, you know, my first thought is maybe uh, about the coronavirus, you know, when will we have a vaccine? But I think almost for, you know, for people, the other raging question is, will Trump be reelected or not? I oh mean, those gosh. those would be the two. Are those two? Are those too big? <laughs> those are pretty big. <laughs> okay, let me shuffle these a little bit um, and see what we come up with. I'm going to do a three card reading. Okay. Um, okay. All right. Let me see what we come up with. All right. Oh. Okay. This is pretty interesting because it is not directly an uh, an answer to those questions. However, it might could be kind of sort of. The first image that came out for this was an image of the Aten, which is the solar disk with rays of light extending from it and hands that are coming off these rays of light that are touching everything. Um, My impression is that this is an image of the earth waking, waking back up after it has been covered in smog. Uh, This is the God force energy touching through the universe and trying to It's like, it's telling us, wake up, wake up, wake up, you know. Um, The virus has has had its way with us, and it has also made the world a little uh, less toxic because we're staying inside. Uh, We're not driving our cars and, you know, polluting the air. And so that's the image I'm getting is this uh, image of the sun rays touching us. Uh, and waking us up uh, and filling us with spirit. It's time for us to make a spiritual journey. Given that, I got the Ka image again, which is the arms uplifted, reaching back up to the sun. And so really, this is a time in which we're supposed to be uh, creating our psychic and spiritual connection to the divine. This is strengthening it. It's not meant to be mindlessly going here and there and, and doing 10 million things the way we normally do. It's about cloistering and working with spirit. Um, what I had as the two possible outcomes for this period of time, it's interesting. I have a card that is uh, called Session, and it is a picture of a lotus pool, and it is really, again, about meditation um, it's about beauty blossoming. Uh, it's about um, silence. Uh, yeah, it's about, um, it's really about healing. It's about the power of healing. Uh, because we've been, we've been so frenetic for so long. Now the next card, the last card that fell out in the midst of all of this too, was the wise scepter. And the wise scepter is strength. Um, and it is an image 
of um, sometimes it's like set. It's an image of Set's head on a stick with uh, two prongs that go into the ground. And the Egyptians used that staff, that scepter, to indicate mastery. All right. It has Set's head on it because you grab it under the neck and you're holding this image of the, the set animal. You're holding it, you know, you've got him by the throat. And it's like learning to control and master your lower impulses, which are the two prongs going into the earth, and to ground your energy and not um, dissipate the power that you are holding. It's good to have consciousness with earth power. It's good to know your own limits. It's good to know what you can create with your life. But it's also important that you master it, that you not just randomly want this and want that. It's really about self-control. That's what this card is about, self-control. Okay, those are the four I got. Okay. I don't think that tells you whether <laughs> Donald Trump will get elected or not. And, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, not when we're going to get a vaccine either, but overall, I mean, the cards look pretty positive. Yes, yes. I think we're being instructed to use our time wisely. Yeah, I've I've thought that myself, you know. Um, you know, lately I've been thinking a lot about um, you know, we have all of these articles that are hitting the news about um, you know, how to structure your day and um, you know, how to be productive. And you know, I I resist those. Because I feel like, in a way, um, those are just telling us to uh, continue to be on the hamster wheel. Um, you know, I'd rather, I think, read an article about, um, well, uh, how are you using this downtime uh, to self-reflect, uh, maybe for some whimsy, maybe for some creativity, you know, as opposed to we have to stay busy, we have to stay busy, you know, um, like that's um, our purpose in life rather than, um, you know, just sort of a time to, to reflect at the lotus pool, so to speak, you know, to think about things, you know, where we're at, how we got here, uh, maybe how we don't want to go back to that, uh, you know, that normal that we um, – you know, that, that we called normal. Maybe there's a better way than, um, you know, actually the abuse and exploitation that we have been accepting as normal. I, I don't know. That's where my head's been anyway. I agree. The abuse that we have accepted as normal, isn't that a phrase? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's uh, it's incredible, really, when you think about it. And I mean, it's not like uh, they, you know, it, it we it happens drip by drip, you know, a little piece by little piece. You know, um, our rights are taken away, uh, exploitation is thrust upon us, uh, you know, and uh, it, it, we don't even realize it. Uh, you know, all we've been enduring. And I, I don't know if that's uh, I, I'm hoping that there's some self-reflection about all of that at this time, because, you know, we're looking at who are the people that are really keeping us healthy? Who are the people that are keeping us alive? Um, it's the people that are making the least at least money on the planet. And there's just something mm-hmm. wrong about that. <laughs> um, anyway, yeah. um so, um, so Normandy, um, uh, is, is there a particular way you use the hieroglyphs uh, as oracles that um, you might want to share, um, or, or do you feel like you've maybe covered that um, adequately? Well, I think, I think there are a number of ways to use them, which I use in the back of the book. Uh, there are some different ways. I like using them for uh, a zodiacal, zodiacal astrological reading. So I can I can look at what's going on in 
in the world and see where my planets and things are. But when I lay out the cards, it gives me an extra way to analyze what's going on in the world of uh, my finances, what's going on in the world of the house, you know, and home, what's going on in terms of my my spiritual development. So all of that, you know, I like to add those cards to that. Um, and that makes for a, a little bit of a longer reading than just drawing three. But I think that that's gotcha. a, a good way to do it. Yeah. Um, well, with all the sheltering in right now, um, are you going to be teaching any, um, you know, any classes on using the hieroglyphs? Um, I mean, are you going to maybe use Zoom or something like that? Or Yes. Thank you for asking. <laughs> um, I have a website where you can find my classes. Uh, it's normandyellis.com. And if you go to events, um, there's some that I've, I have had to cancel because I usually am on the road. So many of them now are going to be online classes, and I'll be updating that probably starting in June. I'll be teaching. So I'm giving it a month um, to settle in. I have another book I'm finishing up right now. So in June I'll be teaching. These. All right. And I mean, I, I mean, I know you lead tours to Egypt all the time. Has that all been put on hold for now? Oh, oh my! I was there when this thing hit, and um, we made it out of Egypt. Uh, I would say a day or two before they closed the border there. The second trip that I was supposed to have led canceled. We are going to try to get some semblance of that trip back together in December. Uh, I do have a travel company that we're hoping to start more tours again in March of next year. But it's a wait and see. It really is. Um, I'm I'm wondering, you know, we never hear anything uh, too much about what's happening in Egypt. I would imagine you have uh, some contacts there. Um, have you heard anything about how they're enduring this? Because I would imagine with a city with as many people as there are in Egypt, they're having a worse time than even New York. I think that the numbers of people who are ill, we're not really hearing. But I do think the people that I know are sheltering in place and waiting it out. And, you know, it is a community that, you know, one of the Islamic principles is to take care of each other. I mean, that's part of the mandate of uh, Allah is that we take care of each other. And so I'm finding a lot of people are, who have families in close quarters are just sheltering in place with their families. You would have, you know, mom and pop on the lower floor of the building and then the second son on the second floor with his family and the the third son, you know, and so on and so on. It's like um, I'm seeing a lot of people sending me information about that. Um, and they are still being hopeful. You know, when I talk to them, they'll say, I'll see you in the fall. You know, so, uh, inshallah. <laughs> Good. Good, good. That's good to hear. Um, well, Normandy, um, I'm out of questions for you, um, but I'll give you the last word here. Is there anything I haven't um, thought to ask you that you think is uh, important for listeners to know about the new book or the hieroglyphs or any of what we've been talking about? I would just like people to uh, feel free to get in touch with me if they would like a reading or um, if they w are interested in any of the trips, um, I'd be happy to hear from them. I guess that's it. Um, we have a women's retreat coming up in November here in Indiana, if people are interested. And um, I have one in July in Michigan, if it's going to go, fingers crossed. So, yeah, just check the website and stay tuned. 
Okay, sounds good. I, I guess, I mean, that's how we're all sort of living our lives these days, uh, you know, right. kind of wait and see. Um, all right, so uh, your website again is uh, normandyellis.com. The new book is uh, Hieroglyphic Words of Power. Uh, go there, uh, take a look at the online classes that are going to be coming up. Uh, you can also see those uh, hieroglyphic cards there on the website and uh, lots of other great stuff. Uh, Normandy, uh, thank you so much uh, for uh, coming back on Voices of the Sacred Feminine. You're um, always welcome here. Oh, thank you so much, Karen. It was great talking to you. Same here, same here. Uh, so you stay safe, and um, I'm sure we'll be in touch. Okay, you too. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Okay, so I am going to go ahead and play that um, that uh, I Am Isis from Diva Haley, but uh, just want to make one announcement first. Uh, coming up this weekend, uh, this coming weekend on Saturday and Sunday, uh, we have a, a big two-part uh, doubleheader, uh, I'm calling it, uh, about trance and trance work and channeling uh, with Laura Perry. Uh, it's going to be 5 p.m. Pacific time on Saturday. Uh, we'll kind of do the introduction and the beginner stuff. Uh, and uh, then on Sunday, we're going to go a little bit deeper, uh, and that is going to also be at 5 o'clock on Sunday. Okay, so you'll want to you'll want to tune in. And again, remember, click the follow button on the show page. Um, so uh, here we go. Uh, this is uh, I am Isis um, uh, with Diva Haley. Enjoy. Will you donate to the illusion of the ego? Are you ready to directly face the truth of your essential self? It is time to set yourself free. with 
Until next time, dear listeners, may Isis embrace you in her golden wings. Goodbye for now. Have a great Sunday.